You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. All right, this is going to be episode 32, Splitting and Expanding. So uh, we got a lot of cool, exciting things to talk about today. I've got emails that have come in just in the past day or two uh, on this exact subject. So we might dive into a couple of those emails as well and, and talk about that. First off, I do want to uh, thank everyone for taking the time to listen. I definitely could not uh, do this without you and it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense if nobody was listening. So thank you for being there. And uh, I do want to send a shout out to Archer and Amia down in Florida. I hear they're doing some great work with mom in the bee yard. So special thanks to both of you. Please keep us updated on all the things you guys have going on down there and uh, have some fun. Okay, quick 60-second stock tip of the day. This is not financial advice. I am assuming you are only trading with paper money. Right now, I'm running bearish call spreads on the QQQ, the SPY, and Apple. I also have naked puts on the SPY. I closed my QQQ puts because of how big of a move they made recently, but it is going lower. The Fed's going to announce a 75 basis point increase this afternoon, which will probably push the markets lower. However, since that is what everyone's expecting, I wouldn't be surprised to see some manipulation to prop up the markets until the monthly options contracts expire this Friday. Then we'll see everything drop next week. The bottom is not in and we are going lower. Not financial advice, just the opinion of a beekeeper. I know nothing. Don't listen to me. All right, so let's start with the basics here with regard to splitting and expanding. So what is a split and kind of what are the pros and the cons? Splitting is a kind of multi-purpose type of thing to do. It has a lot of applications in the beekeeping world. So the two primary objectives with it is one of them is really just good hive management and swarm prevention. As we've discussed several times in the past, it is a bee's and a colony's nature to want to swarm in the spring. When they have a ton of resources coming in and they are expanding within their space, their natural tendency as they run out of space is going to be to swarm. 
which is going to then allow them to kind of procreate, start new colonies, and, you know, fill the world with honeybees. So you, as the beekeeper, you want to keep those bees. You don't want to get rid of them. You don't want to let them go. So you've got to make a decision. Are you going to split or are you going to expand? You know, there's a lot of components to this. There's a lot of things that we have to do on a day-to-day basis to, to manage everything going on in the hive. And this is probably, you know, right in line with, you know, uh, pest management and treating for varroa and treating for other things. This is really high up there in your priority list because if you're not managing the size of the colony and the space that they have available to them, you're going to lose half your bees. When we talk about, and I'm going to break this up into, you know, the two sections between splitting and expanding. So first, we'll just kind of focus on splitting. So a split is basically the division of the hive into two or more hives, you know, from a single. So there's a lot of different splits you could do. You can do what they call the walkaway split. The walkaway split is basically, it is exactly like it sounds. You have an existing hive body, maybe potentially multiple hive bodies. You are establishing a new one. And you basically take the components, divide them up between the two. You don't even pay attention to where the queen is. It really doesn't matter for this purpose. You take half of the frames of brood and put it into the new colony, the new hardware. Half of the pollen, half of the honey, half the nectar, whatever's in there, just divide it up as best you can between the two colonies. One of them will have the queen. One of them will not. The next step in that is to, you, know, you got to figure out where you're going to locate the other colony. Now, what I tend to do is one of them typically will stay right there where it is. The other one you're going to put somewhere else. It might be three feet away. It might be, you know, 100 feet away. The one that is moving, I generally will tend to make that one a little bit larger. Instead of being like a 50-50 split, it might be more of like a 60-40. And that's just because any foragers that are in that colony as you've split them and moved them, like I said, five feet away, 10 feet away, whatever you've decided to do, those foragers that leave that colony, they're going to come back to the original colony. So you're going to lose them. So I tend to make that one a little bit bigger. Outside of that, it's a pretty even split. Now, what you do is when you want to figure out which one has the queen, if you don't see her, right? I, I, I have done walkaway splits before. And I try to locate the queen primarily so that I don't hurt her. I don't want to be manipulating frames, moving things around, and, you know, set a frame down somewhere and crush the queen, and then you end up with two queenless colonies. So I, I prefer, if I was to do a walkaway split, I would prefer to, to know which one has the queen. But if you don't know, just wait three or four days, go back, do another inspection, and one colony is going to have eggs, one colony is not. And that's going to tell you which one has the queen. Now, if you're going to do these, a little bit of planning ahead might help you out with this, particularly on this this walk-away kind of approach. Because I prefer, whenever I'm doing a split, I honestly like to either put a queen cell or ideally a mated queen into that split colony. So let's say, for example, you had a deal worked out with a you know, a local apiary or somebody was mailing you queens and they were going to be here on Friday. Then on, let's say, Saturday or Sunday, five or six days before your queen's getting to your house, go ahead and do your walkaway split. And then you'll come back, you know, a few days later, you'll open them up, take a look, you'll see some queen cells, 
You can go ahead and leave him alone for now. Your new queen gets there in the queen cage. And then once you have her, she's healthy, everything is good to go. Then you can go ahead and remove the other queen cells when you install the new queen and you're in business. You could just leave them for her to handle, but I would go ahead and just take them out. The reason that I like to have at least a queen cell that is you know brand new about to hatch or a mated queen is just it accelerates your time to resuming normal activities within that colony. When you don't have a mated queen that is laying, it's disruptive. It throws things off. You've broken up your brood cycle. You don't have a queen actively laying eggs. You don't have new bees being raised and, and cared for in preparation to replace the aging bees. When you go with the walkaway split and you literally just walk away, that starts a really long counter, right? And we've talked about this before, but you know, you're looking at about 16 days to go from a egg to a queen if they decide to make a queen from an egg, which technically they would use a young larva, but you know where I'm coming from. If it's a young larva that's, say, you know, three days old, you still have another 13 days before she's going to mature into a queen. She's born, you got about a week to get her mated and back, to the, back from her mating flight, and then you've got another three weeks before the first worker is born, right? So this is really, really disruptive to the colony, and it's going to take a long time to rebuild the numbers, and it is particularly challenging to do so when you're not in a flow or when resources are significantly diminished. So that's why I prefer to do a split that includes at least a queen cell, preferably a mated queen. Now, another consideration is how many splits that you're going to do. You can do what I would call like a one to two, where you're just splitting in half. You had one, now you have two. But I've done five, six before. One challenge that a lot of people have is, and I'm, I'm taking a second here to kind of think about this. I got an email about this actually this morning. And somebody said, hey, look, I've got this situation I started some colonies from a package bee, two of them, two colonies from package bees this spring, and they're in deep hive bodies, and both of them have a queen cell. You know, what should I do? This one local beekeeper told me I should put a queen excluder on top and then put a deep on top of that with the frame that has the queen cell, and I should prop the front of that up with an entrance reducer, and that will allow bees to come in and out from the top and allow you to do a split. So when I, when I read that email, I, I kind of had a little bit of a meltdown because there's a lot of things about that that I don't like. So I'm going to go ahead and share that with all of you. I'm not going to mention the guy's name. I don't want him to embarrass him or anything like that. But Because uh, it's obviously it's not his fault. He, he kind of got some bad advice on this one. But the first thing I would say is package bees by themselves can be really, really challenging to ramp up. I mean, you've got package that comes in. Uh, you don't even know how old all the bees are in the package. Ideally, they were, they're shaking in a whole bunch of young nurse bees, but you don't really know what you're getting. They have no drawn comb. If you're a brand new beekeeper, you're, you're working off of wax foundation. So they have to get completely ramped up, store enough resources just to get through, like in my area, just to get to the summer, to get to the dearth. And if I supplemental feed, if I had packages of bees, I would have to supplemental feed them to get through the, the summer. They're not going to make it on their own. It's a real struggle to ramp up these new small colonies. And I've had package bees that just absolutely explode in the spring, and it's great. But they're already like a month, month and a half, sometimes even two months behind the nukes or behind an existing colony 
because they're starting a lot of times in May. So they get about a month to start ramping up and they're looking great and everything is going well. We hit that dearth here and then they got nothing until, you know, mid-August probably. In this specific situation, they are running out of space in that deep hive body. And because they're running out of space, they have a natural tendency to swarm. They just need more space. So in this case, I would recommend adding, you know, take that deep, you know, go ahead and put that deep on top full of frames, get rid of that queen excluder, get rid of that entrance reducer. I really don't like that idea at all because you're propping the front up with an entrance reducer, which is, which is leaving a lot of space in the sides for anything to go in there. I mean, other bugs, insects, potential, uh, you know, be adversaries that can go in there makes it really easy for anything that shouldn't be in that colony to get in and just rain, right? You get a big thunderstorm is blowing, you know, rain left and right. You're going to fill the inside of the colony with water. And if you've ever seen like beehive soup, it's pretty nasty. So that's another reason to keep those hives sloped to the front if you can. But yeah, just because you have a queen cell and just because a hive looks like it wants to swarm doesn't mean you should split them. Uh, just like I told this gentleman, I strongly discourage anyone from splitting a colony that was started that year as a package bee or as package bees. They just need more time. So my recommendation to him was to go ahead and just, you know, get rid of the queen cell, let them expand and give them more space. And the trick I've talked about several times before, too, is a lot of times the bees, for whatever reason, they won't recognize that space above as expansion space that's available to them. So, you know, just grab one of those frames out of the middle that has a bunch of brood on it, bring it straight up to the top, replace that one in that lower box with a just, you know, regular wax foundation frame, and the bees will follow that brood right up, and they'll go to town. They'll have that frame down in the middle drawn up in a couple days. Queen will go back down there, lay that up, and, and you'll be in business, and then they'll start working both hive bodies. But that is a really common mistake that people make. They're like, oh, I've got a swarm cell. I have to, I have, to have another colony. I just have to do that. So, yeah, it's really disappointing to me that some people out there are kind of giving some not-so-great advice in that situation. But anyway, so when you start doing these splits, and let's say you have a well-established colony. You've had them for a year or two. They just overwintered. Spring rolls around, and you know in the spring they're going to grow really, really quickly. It, it's not uncommon at all for people to go ahead and drop two honey supers on top of the hive in the spring, right? When things start really, when the, when the flow kicks in and uh, that time of year when there's just pollen dust all over everything, they can fill a honey super very quickly. So it's not uncommon for people to go ahead and drop two on at a time. Give them that space, give them that room. Yes, there does exist a possibility where if the hive became so massive that that queen pheromone may not propagate as well, and it could give the impression, you know, to the bees within the colony that something is wrong with the queen, that you know, her pheromone's not strong enough, maybe we need to supersede her kind of thing. As with any other colony, small, big, new, old, you're going to be doing inspections periodically. Keep your eyes open. You know, if you see supersede your cells and you're stacked, you know, 10 honey supers high or whatever it might be, you may want to look at doing a split. But usually you can take a colony to a pretty good size before it starts to become an issue. But in general, it's not really a big problem with expanding, you know, continuing to expand and make more space. The other thing, too, is if, you know, if they are confined and there's not a nectar flow, right, coming in, then you get into a different situation, right? So if they don't have enough space, but there's a ton of bees in there 
and the summer heat kicks in and gets really hot. And then you end up with uh, a situation where they get uncomfortable and they want to abscond. We're going to talk about that more in an upcoming episode. I've got one kind of planned uh, for the next couple of days. It'll be in a bee buzz where I'll be talking about hive structures and, and different things that you may want to consider and, and some of the whys behind why we're, we're doing certain things. So that's more to follow on that one. But back to the splitting side of things. When you do a split, even if it's from a really, really strong colony, let's say you do a one to two split. So you're just adding one additional colony. That's generally pretty safe, right? You divide those resources in half. You are going to probably cut your, your honey production down, right? Because you're splitting everything that that colony needed to make it through the up to and through the winter, you're splitting that with two colonies now, but now you've got two queens that can produce more workers, more foragers, and hopefully if you're doing things at the right time of year based on where you live, you know, it won't be an issue at all and you'll end up with two, you know, healthy and successful colonies. But where things start to become a little bit more challenging is when, you know, like I mentioned, like a five, five way split, it's not uncommon at all for me to take a couple of larger hives and just do a four or five way split. But when I do that, I do it early. Now, you, if you heard the last episode, you, you hear where I did it too early and lost a dozen of them. But you want to do it early enough in the season where they have plenty of time to ramp up. Ideally, you want to do it with a mated queen if possible, so you don't have any disruption or time waiting for a virgin queen to get mated and her, for her to start laying. But you need to pay close attention to those newer colonies in the spring, making sure that, one, you don't want to give them you know, too much space because they do need to maintain temperature inside the colony for some of those cooler nights that happen sometimes earlier in the spring. You got to, again, don't want them to get confined too quickly to where they want to actually start making swarm cells in a two, three, or four frame nuke. And you also have to keep in mind that you may run into periods where there is not a good nectar flow where you will need to supplemental feed them. So if I were to do like a five-way split, that original source colony is going to be very depleted but I probably won't have to feed them. But all of those splits are going to probably need to be fed. Now, in my situation, I'll just do an open feeder and um, you know, just put a, a five-gallon can in the yard. Or if you're doing something like at a commercial level, they take these large water jugs on pallets and you know have sucrose in them or whatever. Whatever your feeding approach is, I would do an open feeder because it's just a little bit easier to handle bulk feeding than doing individual colonies. But either way, some kind of supplemental feed is most likely going to be brought in unless you're putting them on some kind of a flow somewhere where you live or you're doing some kind of pollination for someone. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about expanding. So when I say expanding, all I'm really talking about is space. It's just a matter of adding space. You can make or create a really, really huge colony, but you have to keep in mind that a colony is very much like a city. So the more people that are in the city, the more people have to be fed. The more traffic there is, the more... I don't know why I almost said the more crime that there is. So we don't have a lot of bee crime, so that's not really a big issue. But uh, you just need more of everything to accommodate. <laughs> accommodate. Jeez, that's crazy. Uh, you just need more of everything, particularly food. So the colony will throttle its population as needed. And you'll see this happen throughout the season. In the winter, in the overwinter, and the cluster can get you know kind of small sometimes. And then as soon as that flow kicks in, you get some warmer weather. And next thing you know, in a month, the hive is bursting at the seams and the population is massive. You're adding in, you know, more space and supers and the hive just gets bigger and bigger and there's bees everywhere. And then you get a period, whether whether there's a dearth or whether you just have one long season, you get to the end of that season and you'll notice that as that nectar flow has diminished and gone away, the population will go away as well. Bees will age off and they won't be replaced and then you'll go into the winter with a new cluster. So the population is constantly kind of in this rolling you know, state of, of what the total numbers are going to be. But if you give them space early in the spring and, and you stay on top of it, you can, you, know, you can completely negate that urge to swarm and you can really, really get a lot of surplus honey if you're in, in the right place. I mean, I would say you should be looking at the realistic possibility of getting about you know, being able to take off about half of what they produce. Now, this is really kind of generic. It's going to vary based on where you live and the conditions and all of that. But you can get a lot of honey if you have a colony that is allowed to grow and get uh, as large as it can get. So we talked about, you know, managing, obviously, you know, doing splits to manage the population and reduce that swarming risk. But when you expand, like I said, you add supers, give them more space. If you wanted to, uh, you may say, hey, look, I've, I've got a ton of you know, honey, but I want to do some splits for some other hives. So I'm going to add another deep. So this way you add a deep. So you may have two or even three deeps stacked up because you want them to store some honey in a deep because you're going to do a split. You're going to create a nuke from this larger colony and you don't want it to be in a medium honey super. You want to take a frame of honey that is in a deep sized frame. So you can go ahead and let's say, for example, that you are on a single brood chamber setup. So you have your single deep, you have a queen excluder, and then normally from there, you would just have honey supers on top of that. Well, you may say, hey, look, I'm going to do a couple of, I'm going to make two nukes this year. You might put a deep on top of that. Uh, maybe you have like a medium super first, let them get some honey stored for, for them. And then you put a deep on top of that, let them store honey in that. And then you're going to pull frames off of those. Let's say you have 10 frames in there. Maybe they fill, you know, eight of them. So you can go ahead and do four splits, potentially giving two frames of honey for each split. And it's in a deep frame. So that kind of solves that problem that a lot of people run into when they're trying to create a nuke and all of their honey is in mediums. So that might be, you know, one thing that you could do just as a quick example for how you give them expansion space. 
Another consideration is always going to be around ventilation. And I know we've talked about it before, but, you know, like I said, some folks kind of come in in the middle and maybe don't always go back to the first episodes. So I was about to kind of jump in and start talking about ventilation and some of the things that are also important to keep in mind as you're building some of these larger colonies and you're expanding into, you know, multiple deeps, multiple, you know, mediums or shallows. And I mean, I've, I've seen these things get stacked to where you almost need a ladder to get the, the supers off the top. But I'm going to go into this a little bit more in detail later on in a different episode. So I'll, I'll push that for now. But, you know, I think the expanding, again, is, is very straightforward. It's a simple concept. You have a deep with a queen excluder and multiple honey supers, or maybe you have two deeps, honey excluder, multiple supers, whether they're mediums or shallows, completely up to you. You're just adding more space. Pretty straightforward. So we've talked about splitting. We've talked about just expansion and, and providing more space. But now let's kind of go back to the very beginning and talk about what drives these decisions and which way you go. And these are kind of the considerations that you want to keep in mind before you do a split. One of the first things I would say is how many hives do you want to have and maintain? You know, I've got a really good buddy of mine out in uh, Nebraska. I haven't talked to him in a long time. So if you're listening, I owe you a call. It's my fault. But he just wants one colony. He doesn't want a full apiary. He doesn't want to manage a bunch. He's got a flow hive on top for his honey super. So when he wants honey, he goes out there, he cracks it open with the jar, goes inside, you know, 15 minutes later, he's got honey. And that's all he wants. He has multiple swarms every season. I think uh, last time he and I spoke, he had a swarm, he caught it. And he was like, okay, we'll do two hives. That's fine. And then, then the primary colony swarmed again. He was like, daggone it. You know, I don't want to do this. So it makes sense for him, right? He just wants one colony. Now, if I'm in his situation, I would probably tell somebody I know or maybe, you know, somebody in the bee club or something say, hey, my colony is going to swarm this spring. I don't really want it. If you want to come grab a nuke for yourself, you can have it, right? That might be one way to help him maintain some of that population. But it's something that you want to consider, right? Do you want one? Do you want two? Like I always tell people having two is really, really a good idea. God forbid something happens to your queen or something goes wrong, you can rebuild an existing colony from the support of the adjacent colony. But, you know, some people say, I don't care. If this one has a problem, I'll get a new one. That, I get it. The other thing to consider is how many hives are you allowed to have, you know, wherever you live? You know, it's important because there are some localities and municipalities that have restrictions on the total number of colonies that you can have. Now, you know, I'm happy to go into further detail as to some of the methods you can use to obfuscate the total number of hives you have, but, you know, I don't want someone to red flag me and report me to the agricultural authorities and, and get me in trouble. So you'll have to uh, be creative on that one, but, you know, you can make the footprint of your colonies appear to be one when you have multiple if you wanted to do that. But again, follow the rules where you live, try to avoid getting in trouble. So another thing to think about is the physical hardware. So if you go to Man Lake or, you know, you go to a local business or Amazon or somewhere and you get all your bee hardware, you do a split, you can split into a nuke. Absolutely. But let's say you split into a five-frame nuke. Okay, well, what are you going to do in two weeks, right? When that nuke is busting at the seams, what do you do now? Do you have another nuke, you know, hive body that you can put on top of that? Do you have another one on top of that that you can put maybe? Because it's going to keep growing. Have you standardized on something? Like there are some people that say, I use mediums for everything. My brood chambers, my honey supers, 
everything is all mediums. You can do all deeps. You can do, you know, you can do whatever you want to do, but when you do that split, you're doubling the hardware that you need. And I always recommend to everybody, you should always have an extra set of whatever you have. So like, let's say you have, you know, four colonies and they're all based on deeps with medium supers. Then you should have at least a fifth colony with two deeps and a couple of empty honey supers so that if something happens, you can quickly make space for a colony and you're able to adapt to whatever that circumstance is in a, in a quick, agile kind of way. This hardware is not getting any cheaper. So you definitely want to take that in, into consideration you know, as to how much physical hardware that you might need. And again, being able to reduce cost by standardizing on something. Like I said, for me, it doesn't make, it makes sense for me to divide things up between deeps and mediums. That just makes sense. But if you're a small time beekeeper, you know, maybe you just want to go all mediums for everything. You know, it's easier to lift up. It's easier to move around. Honestly, if I were starting out right now, I would just do nukes. I would buy, I don't know, maybe 25 five frame nukes or four frame nukes. And I would just, just do everything in four or five frame nukes, stack them all vertically, you know, go three or four high and that's that, but find something that, you know, that works for you, but just be aware that every time you do a split, you need a lot more hardware and you want to have that ready ahead of time. I'm, I used to be really bad about this. I would start making all these plans and figure out where I was going to put the new split and what I was going to do and get my sugar ready. And I had all these things going on and then I'd be a couple days out and I would say, Oh my gosh, I'm three frames short or I don't have another inner cover or whatever it might be. Now, fortunately, in my area, there's a guy who's a member of a different bee club. He's like about 40 minutes away, and he always has stuff on hand. So before I had a big surplus on my own, I mean, I could just call him and be, you know, just say, hey, man, can I come over and grab some stuff? He's like, yeah, come on over. So that was nice. Didn't have to pay for shipping, and he's a good guy. Prices were reasonable, all that. So finding somebody local yourself might not be a bad idea if you can do that too. The next thing is... Will the source hive of these splits have enough resources remaining to make it through the dearth or to make it to the fall flow? You know, whatever your circumstances are where you live, you don't want to deplete that primary hive so much that not only now are you placing these new splits are at risk, you're risking the primary source hive as well. I mean, you can easily go from one hive to five hives to no hives pretty quick. So, you know, just be very mindful of that. And uh, another thing to, to keep in mind is, will there be enough of a flow to support all these splits, or are you going to have to supplemental feed them? Now, in the past, I would just say, hey, you know, go to local grocery store, Sam's Club, Walmart, Kroger, whatever you have near you, and uh, grab a 25-pound bag of, of sugar and mix up your sugar syrup and, you know, do one of those. You know, if you had five colonies, you're probably going to go through one of those every day or two. But... Like right now, I'm not doing any splits right now. I'm just, I'm not doing it because I don't know about the availability of sugar. I've heard something about something with Brazil not going to export their sugar anymore. And, you know, we have some supply chain issues and there's just all the things that we used to have readily available are not available. And I would rather just keep my colonies larger and stronger and not have to worry about tracking down feed but that's just the, you know, the decision that I've made because I think that's going to be best for me. But you definitely want to be mindful of that because if you know, can your colonies survive if you're not able to get sugar for them? 
so those are just a couple of quick concerns. I feel like this is one of those topics because it, it comes up a lot. I get a lot of emails around splitting and feeding and should I or shouldn't I. So again, my, my general advice is if you have package bees that you're starting, you know, this year, don't split. Just let them grow as big and as healthy as they can. Give them space. If you had a nuke that you got this year, that nuke probably came to you. In general, nukes tend to show up for people around May. Like if you're further north, it might be June. If you're further south, it might be March and April. But, you know, May is a good time to be getting nukes. But at that point, you're already a month, month and a half behind. So even if you had a nuke and that nuke did really, really well this spring, let them go. You know, give them space and let them overwinter. See how well they do by themselves without you taking anything away from them. I just, I really don't like doing any splits with brand new colonies that first year. Just let them grow, get used to, you know, doing your inspections, get used to being a beekeeper, seeing what can go wrong and, and just learning, just take your time. And then next spring, have all your stuff ready to go. You don't have to rush, take your time and just do a single, you know, one to two split. And see how that goes. And if you're able to plan ahead, like I said, get a queen from a reputable dealer and use that queen for your split. Or if you want to, you know, you can go ahead and give the colony some space, but let them create a swarm cell. And then when they do, add the space on so they have space to continue to grow up and then move those frames with cells on them over into a split and let them go that way if that's, you know, if that's what you want to do. But again, do that in year number two, right? When you've successfully overwintered, you've proven now that you have the genetics that can overwinter, which is really critically important. And then just do that one to two split and manage that for a year and see how that goes. Because then you go into your second full year. Let's see, you started out. So now you go into your third full year of beekeeping and you're like, okay, I've got these two colonies, both of them overwintered with no problem. This is great. I did a, the one to two split. That went fine. They had tons of resources left over the winter. It was a pretty harsh winter, so we know it's not going to get any worse than this. Hey, this year maybe I'll do a one to you know one to two, or I'm sorry, a one to three. So I'll you know create three colonies from one. But take your time. Don't rush into. I know it's there's you get excited and you get pumped up and things are going well. You know it's kind of like like the the euphoria, almost like like the dot com era euphoria or what we saw you know in some of the markets you know, a few years ago where like everything was just up, up, up and everything was going great. Like it, you have that kind of euphoria in the spring because everything's in bloom and the there's so much activity in the hives and they're growing so fast. And, you know, it's just, it's exciting. It's really, really cool. Then it's one of those things where like everything is great until it isn't type of things. I think you and your bees will be a lot happier if you just take your time. Well, folks, I have a bunch of emails I've got to get back to. I feel like I still didn't even cover all my notes, but I don't want to keep you guys tied up for two hours here. If you have any questions, if I missed anything, feel free to drop me an email, jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com, and we'll definitely try to uh, you know, get back with you and follow up on that. I've got, let's see here, this is splitting and expanding. I've got, so the next episode I have teed up is episode 33, what to do when all your interventions fail. I'm not sure how long of an episode that's going to be, but I'll play around with that, put together some notes, and we'll see what we can do there. I've got a bee buzz teed up. So the bee buzz that I'm going to be talking about here in the next couple of episodes is what types of hardware and living conditions do bees like? This is an email from Seth. Seth actually reached out and said, hey, i got a couple of ideas, so we're going to incorporate that in and talk about some things that he brought up. We're going to talk about 
A few other notes I've got in here. We're going to talk about some sugar. We got some, I got some notes in here about genetics. So we got all kinds of cool stuff teed up. So anyway, folks, take care of yourselves. Have a great day, and uh, we will talk to you soon. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.